Hello. Hello. This is Joya Italiano. And this is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to No But That's a Thing. A podcast where we talk about the science ideas that are contained in sci-fi movies. Yeah, neither of us are experts in any of these things, but we care about them and we feel like we can make it interesting for you. So we Googled some stuff after watching a movie and here we go. Here we go. And ho. Welcome, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> you can't really respond. I mean, I'm fine. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to the I'm peeps? Yeah, talking to everybody. Okay, cool. So we watched Alien. Alien. The oh, classic. Yeah. The classic Ridley Scott mm-hmm. Alien movie. 1979. I, like, this is such a wild one because most of the ones we've done are reasonably new or at least, you know, they're not super classics that everybody look at as being some of the, you know, like the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is, it's a tall order we're looking to fill. But I think we can fill it. I'm ready to fill it. Okay, cool. The basic rundown is a mining crew gets a distress beacon from a planet. They go down. There's an alien ship that crashed there. And there's some alien larvae that are still alive. They attach to one of the guy's faces, and he brings it back onto the ship, and they got to fucking deal with this and alien. Hilarity ensues. Well, I think the first thing, it's so interesting. Like, I've seen this movie many times. I'm sure many people have. Mm. This time, I, me noticing how casual it's this, this whole mission is supposed to be. Like, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be quote-unquote truckers in space yeah you even notice this with the one guy would just wear a fucking trucker hat like there's just blue collar guy trucker hat. so just that or that suspension of disbelief we're in a world when it's so commonplace for us to go into space travel mm-hmm. that just normal it's basically like futurama right yeah they well gotta it's, make it's, a delivery yeah these ships are basically like little like fishing vessels i guess or, yeah. or little mining operations that are trying to set like it's a cargo ship totally. pretty much the xenomorph is often called a perfectly evolved organism and we'll look around nature on earth and think about how a lot of these animals that we see appear to be perfectly evolved for their own environment mm-hmm. and I saw this thing that was saying that with evolution, you don't have to be perfectly adapted to survive. You just have to be well adapted as your competitors. Right. So evolution doesn't necessarily lead to a perfect organism, but because it's kind of building on stuff that's already there. It, it, it's more likely to reshape existing structures than it is to like throw up whole new things. Right. Evolution. So, well, because you're also talking about like minuscule <clears throat> changes over extremely long periods of time. Right. And actually, you think about humanity and our slow evolution, like a virus can produce 10 billion new viral particles a day in a person who's infected with HIV. Whoa. Whereas the total human population on Earth was no more than a few million a few thousand years ago. I see. And like more than that... In a decade, bacteria can produce 200,000 generations, which is about as many generations as we've gone through since we were chimpanzees. Wow. So things can evolve incredibly faster than what humans have. Oh, 100%. And I thought that this was such an interesting movie on the level of like, what if we ran into a species that had completely different competitors to work against right? and become something that's way more than we could ever handle? Well, obviously, the what's the name of the planet that they find? It's just like some planetoid, but then we never, oh, just the uh, nameless planetoid. I, 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 I should look that up. I don't remember. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, well, because at that point, you're just like, here's a fucking 
alien. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, need to know yeah. where they're at. I just know what's coming. Right. But like the the atmosphere that uh, on that planet. Yeah. Leads to the kind of evolution where you have acid blood. These mm-hmm. kinds of things. Well, I want to know what about that environment makes that that fucking alien's mouth so goddamn watery. <laughs> well, that's a good question. Well. There is like a theory that the, it's not actually evolved on that planet and mm-hmm. that what happened was the a different alien species ran into the alien oh. and then ended up crashing on this planet. I see. And so that's when they go in and they have like that big space jockey thing that uh-huh. they call it, like the big pilot. I think that he was killed by the xenomorph and then they crashed and like it's just this species like is on this crashed alien ship. Well, I guess in, with regard to what we were talking about last week in the contact episode, yes, it asked the question of whether or not you should be trying to reach alien or extraterrestrial life mm-hmm. via radio. But this is kind of the, this would be the, like, maybe you don't want to get in touch because what if that's right. the creature that you're that you're reaching? is mm-hmm. something that has evolved so much beyond our capacity, but is also, like, we are now the lower on oh, the food chain yeah and you it's haven't not anticipated even like, that it is intelligent life on a certain sense but it seems like its goal is only survival right and reproduction mm-hmm. and that's terrifying so you have those kind of really primal instincts mm-hmm. and the 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 wit the intellectual capacity mm-hmm. but without any of the empathy that we've evolved with yeah. Empathy, those feelings of altruism that we've talked about, like what is consciousness? Right. This creature seems to be conscious, but of what? Well, it, does it, it feel pain? Yeah, it seems to like wiggle about when yeah. it gets blasted in the face with the steam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's yes. <laughs> you know, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, okay. Yeah, it sounded kind of like the Ed 209 when it falls down the stairs and it's like on its oh, side yeah. like <laughs> Mixed with a little, I know this is the precursor to the the T one thousand. They're like mm-hmm. when he's in the lava, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and he's like morphing into all the different people he's killed. Just like yeah. it's all that's the through line. Just any alien creature is just gonna have some creepy squeal, like yeah. a fucking pterodactyl style. Well, the concept of the face hugger element, where mm-hmm. it's basically like ingesting, putting eggs into the guy's stomach. Yeah. there is a real insect called Ischnupoidea? Sounds I-C-H-N-E-U-P-O-N-O-I-D-E-A. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We'll make of it what you will, audience. <laughs> it's this thing with the giant stinger, but the stinger doesn't actually sting. It bores into things and lays eggs oh, I, inside of it. Oh, I think I've seen it. that on planet Earth. <sighs> Yeah, just the ultimate violation. It, right. And so then, like, on hatching, the larvae feed either externally or internally on the right. host, and then it dies, and, like, these new wasps show up. Right. And I just couldn't believe, like, it's so deeply off putting that there would be. show up? They're, they're wasps. They look kind of like wasps. Oh, okay. Ugh. Uh, yeah, Ugh. they're like these giant. Like, it's the most disturbing thing to see these things. And yeah, and then the eggs hatch from, like, a caterpillar's body and the offspring consume the dead caterpillar. that kind of feeds into one of the things we we talked about, which is Mm -hmm. filmmakers. Who was it specifically that, do you recall? I think it was the writer Dan Bannon. Oh, right, Dan Bannon. This idea of facehugger, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, 
oral rape. <laughs> yeah. But specifically geared towards men. Yeah. Right? The idea yeah. of something. Okay, what is the quote? <laughs> I think that he said basically like, yeah, man, this is basically playing on all males' fears. You know, you have something mm-hmm. bursting out. Like with the idea of birth, something bursting out of you. Yep. The face hugger raping your face and laying eggs right. in your face and like, you just like like giving birth but against your will yeah he said that the oral invasion of Cain by the face hugger functions as payback for many horror films which sexually vulnerable women are attacked by male monsters mm-hmm. i had never watched this film like that but upon hearing that i'm kind of like wow a hadn't made that connection can totally see that in retrospect also the fact that the alien is maternal right right it's a female yeah so one he said one thing that all people are disturbed about is sex i said that's how i'm going to attack the audience i'm going to attack them sexually and i'm not going after the women in the audience i'm going to attack the men i'm going to put every image i can think of to make the men in the audience cross their legs homosexual or oral rape birth the thing lays its eggs down your throat. The whole number. <laughs> the whole number. You the know, whole lays, number. lays its eggs in your throat, rapes your face, you know, bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> For, you know, forced reproduction by non-consensual means, and it's happening to a man. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, and to think about that kind of mentality in mm-hmm. 1979, that's, like, remarkably progressive, isn't very it? Very progressive. Because it's true. When you think about a lot of these these exploitation movies from, from the 70s, it's... It's all about the kind of basically rape fantasies of young women. Yeah. And, but very blatant. They're just running around with their tits out right, and right. somebody is chasing them and going to kill them. This mm-hmm. plays on that, but in a very subconscious way. And I, I can appreciate that. You think about the, the fucking mini mouth coming out of the big mouth and you're like, yeah, it's like someone trying to put their fucking tongue down your throat. You don't yeah. want that. But instead, they're going <laughs> to bash your brains yeah. through your skull. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I hadn't even thought about that. I, I, I really like that. Me either. Like, it, And I had... Thought a lot about this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, you get—I mean, you get trapped on just the idea of like, oh, a fucking alien that's gonna yeah. eat my ass. <laughs> right. you know, you're not thinking, oh, the like sexual and gender politics underlying <laughs> yeah, alien. Well, it, yeah, because it, it is easy to just be lost in like, wow, acid blood—that's yeah. fucking cool. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! So you got these truckers in space? So they're just driving around, yeah. you know, dropping shit like off. A, there's like a cute cat and yeah. And- <laughs> Do you want to talk about some acid blood? Let's talk about some acid blood for a minute. Cool. Because, like, I, I looked into some of the most corrosive substances that we have, mm-hmm. and none of them, like, work as fast as the acid blood is shown in the alien movie. Right. But a lot of them work pretty much like that. Really? One of the questions is, like, can you create a container that can actually contain such a corrosive thing? Right. How would thing? you transport something like that? There is kind of a limit on how corrosive a material you can make. Yeah. It actually got me thinking about this concept called the China Syndrome, which is the name of a movie from the 70s about a nuclear reactor. And it comes from the idea that a nuclear reactor, if it completely melts down, could bore through the center of the Earth all the way to China. That is crazy. (laughs) Because it would just keep going and keep having this reaction happen. Right, because you think, okay, so in the movie, it spills out from after it bursts out of the guy's fucking chest Mm -hmm. and they try to get it. And they're having to jump, like, run down all of the, the levels of the ship. Yeah, because as it's, it's boring just through, through. Each, each layer. Hydrofluoric acid, if you get it on your skin, it doesn't hurt at first because it's like a neurotoxin. 
Okay. And you won't get it treated or something. And then a few hours later, it starts to completely decompose all the tissue in your hand. What? And it can get into your bloodstream and cause you to have a heart attack. Where does that come from? It's this acid that we have called hydrofluoric acid. And it's used in like refining oil into gas. It's used in making Prozac. It's used What? Yep. It's used in etching or cleaning incredibly hard substances. Or, like, just dissolving rock samples for studying. I, like, I, there's so many levels right? on which I'm kind of like, this is fucked up to think that, you know, not only is that stuff still in our environment, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if, you, sure, it's on your skin, it tells you it's that corrosive. Mm-hmm. What, are we breathing that shit as a result of the process well, to, to... if you do breathe it, you're going to die immediately. Great. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Love that it's used in Prozac, which is supposed to make people happy, right? <laughs> no, right? It's, it's a thing. kind of ironic. In a way. God, that even gets me. I, I'm. It would be tangential, but you think about all of the chemicals just in every household product. And that There's more and more shit oh coming God. out about that, about just everyday stuff that we're putting well, on our face. There, there was our- like, uh, when radium was first found, but before it was known, it was put in tonics for right. people, where it literally said, contains radium, it's good for yeah. your health. This arsenic is sure people. tasty. Yeah. There, there was like, there were dog bowls that from like the late 1800s and early 1900s that they still like, yeah. you can get Geiger counter ratings yeah. of radiation off of these things. Lest we even acknowledge the lead fiasco, which oh. seems to be now... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, who? Anyway, more about <laughs> corrosive substance. Okay, well, so also, like, how fucking corrosive would your insides have to be if that was your blood? Well, if that's... Just, like, what kind of container do you have inside right, you? Right, what is your skin made of? Yeah. And I know the actual alien was made of, like, latex, but I don't think... <laughs> I don't think that's what it was in the movie. Not in, in the movie. In canon. It's <laughs> it like a side note. They're like, his latex body is <laughs> yeah. able to... If that's not a condom advertisement, I don't know what is. You're like Trojan uh, (laughs) That's really funny. Acid blood. (laughs) Ay ay ay. This is like a good interstitial time, like da 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 da. So they find this ship that's been sitting there for God knows how long, and these aliens are still alive, basically waiting for somebody to come along, I guess, and Mm -hmm. wake them up. And it got me thinking about life being able to survive in deep space. And there's an interesting story from the Apollo program where we landed a probe on the moon called Surveyor 3. And then Apollo 15, I believe, landed nearby Surveyor 3. And so we went out and like two years after it landed on the moon, we took the camera casing back to study how metals appear in space and over long periods of time. And we found living bacteria on it. And people were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Was there, is there life on the moon? Right. And then they realized that it wasn't in a perfect clean room before launch. And bacteria that launched two and a half years earlier survived in the vacuum of space on the moon all the way to be brought back to Earth. Wow. So organisms that can survive long periods of time in a vacuum is a real thing for Earth life Mm -hmm. who knows how long something could survive in a comet as it's traveling through space and you know like okay so the idea is that that bacteria just sustained it didn't necessarily grow and expand right okay but it was just okay interesting you think of like cryogenic chambers or something is Mm -hmm. that sort of i I, you think of the vacuum of space because okay you can survive 
do you age? Does time just kind of stop? <laughs> like, that's where my brain is going, of course. I think that they, whatever the case was, they were some kind of dormant over that period of time, and then they were reactivated and still alive yeah. after all that period of time. Interesting. It also made NASA realize, like, we got to get way better clean rooms for these things. Right, exactly. <laughs> You're like, as ultimate, from whence did this bacteria come? Well, well what if our... we did that on a Mars rover and then landed some bacteria that like survived on Mars and then who knows where that goes and like years from now we're exactly. like, uh, this life is on Mars. I guess it came from <laughs> us. Right, precisely. Wow, you even, well, that would be like a blunder that turned into something like, yeah, that's right. We created the first life on Mars because mm-hmm. that's, that's what we're about. Yeah. I suppose it, it depends on, on whether or not it can evolve into something yeah. much more intense, into something like Alien. Wouldn't be happy about creating that. Right. No, I don't think that it would happen in such a short period of time. <laughs> right, like 20 years. You're yeah. just like, and now this creature that has And, and it's just the perfect like, xenomorph. <laughs> yeah. Xenomorph, that's like, but then it's also about like teaching you a lesson like, I'm going to fucking plant my eggs inside yeah. you. Yeah. I'm going to undo the patriarchy by myself. <laughs> 20 years of bacteria on Mars. That's, yeah. that's what we're in That's for. all it took to yeah. undo the patriarchy. I just, I, with something like this, I love looking at the context, like the time that it came out. So 1979, mm-hmm. it's around the time that a, a lot of, whether B-movie or otherwise, space movies, alien movies are coming mm. out. This, to me, was the most realistic interpretation of, of how, how we would actually approach this. Or I guess it reaches audiences in the most human way because as we were yeah. saying before, this is truckers in space. It's just people. Like, what would you do? What would you or someone like you do if mm-hmm. you were faced with this decision? Ripley is just like a normal... She's just a chick. Yeah, she's just a chick doing stuff. The I, I love how natural all the dialogue is in the movie mm-hmm. and it has that like 70s which some people don't really like this but there was like an era of movies where everybody was kind of talking over each other and all the audio was like at the same level and you could hear background conversations right. and it was a style that i think does create a really cool feel that feels very natural and realistic and that's like permeating the movie to make it feel that much more exactly it, instead of it being a like Deep Space Nine, we are here and ready to rock. I mean, like it really kind of demystifies the whole thing, which allows you to just immerse yourself in that world, and I think Mm. makes it that much scarier when shit starts to go down. Yeah. What one of the things I was reading is like all of the characters, because there's seven crew members, I believe, Mm. all of them were written as just sort of generic male characters, Mm. but it was noted that they're all technically unisex so they could be rewritten as as men or women that kind of opened the door for Sigourney Weaver to be cast as Ripley she was actually the the least experienced in the movie at that time like the least experienced actor she was the last person cast she had Broadway experience but she was not as known in film so this was like her first like blast off can you imagine it was her first on Broadway (laughs) with aliens (laughs) and Broadway um (laughs) yeah and so what I love about that though is it you don't it does not require Ripley to be either feminine or masculine she is very androgynous and Mm -hmm. I think that that's amazing I I think probably in aliens when it becomes even that much clearer about like reproduction and Mm -hmm. it becomes a little bit more this is my woman's tale like (laughs) yeah yeah um, yeah but at least in this one I I liked that it didn't matter and she just happened to Mm -hmm. also because she was the newest and had a little bit of nervousness that came across better with the tension that she had with the other crew members it was real you know yeah we were also talking about the fact that actors knew that there was going to be some shit jumping out of that guy's chest chest. scene they didn't know that blood was gonna was the actor 
she's Lambert in the movie, mm-hmm. didn't know that there was going to be like blood shooting out, right? With all of these like pipes and ducts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So when the alien first shoots out, that's a natural thing caught on screen. She really saw this thing burst out and the blood squirted her in the face. Yeah. And so like everybody was freaking the fuck it's out. It's a really memorable shot of her like, like get splattered on the face and just genuinely screaming. Oh and yeah. It, it's very realistic. and such a memorable little, it's yeah. like only one second, but wow, it makes an impact. Right. And then you also think, oh, so they were being, they had glycerin put on them to make them look fucking sweaty all the time because really? they're like hot on this like <laughs> when shit hits the fan people yeah. are getting sweaty well she's um, also got like a flamethrower at one point well yeah so like well and that's one of the things too is the environment is <sighs> awesome uh, the practical effects i'll never stop all the design and how amazing it is well like, also you get like i mean out of this movie comes probably the only creature designer whose name i know and right i feel like is a household name uh, and with good H. reason Geiger. right yeah. um and that name is that name is for those of you <laughs> but this i thought this was an interesting fact so they had like four different cats playing the the cat oh really <laughs> yeah what's the cat's name jonesy jonesy yeah because i was like i want to name a cat jonesy <laughs> yeah you were like that's a great cat name <laughs> and you could just and when you're calling them over you just be like mr jonesy <laughs> the possibilities are endless frankly possibilities are endless. <laughs> anyway so the combination of the cats and the glycerin that had to be on on Sigourney Weaver caused her to get allergic. Oh, really? So once they stopped, t- they put the they took the glycerin off of her. Is it glycerin? Glycerin? I think it's glycerin. I think it's glycerin, but the Bush song, which is glycerin, <laughs> it makes me really feel. <laughs> the days go by, glycerin. Anyway, so once well, they took that away, she was able to canonical. work with the cats. <laughs> yeah. Pronunciation. <laughs> I have a lot of things that inform my knowledge of yeah. the world, you know. Yeah, so she was allergic to all of that. Oh, also, because of those fucking spacesuits, they were so hot. It was difficult to breathe. There was also a heat wave at the time that they were filming. Oh, People were man. fucking passing out. They had oxygen masks. So I think that's one of the things, too, wow. is it's so, like, autentico because people are actually, like, passing out. <laughs> like, the production are, yeah, wasn't just, like, like homegirls stressed as fuck because she just saw an alien bust out of her friend's chest. Yeah. And didn't know that it was going to happen, you know. I, I, those are the elements about this movie that loves that I love so much. And then you add this, the, like, fucking icing on the cake that's just like, and it's about challenging male fears. <laughs> yeah. And also challenging, my, you know, but maybe for me, I'm not thinking, like, I don't want anything to impregnate me. Right. Because it's like, ah, already, that's par that, for the course. Well, that <laughs> thought what... never, like, directly occurred to me. Right. Like, I just knew that it was off-putting mm-hmm. in a deep level. No one wants to be impaled. No, no. No one wants to be penetrated when they don't want to be. You know what I'm saying? That is a truth of the world. A little quick fun fact about the sequel that isn't terribly related. Okay. So James Cameron directed Aliens, and Sigourney Weaver had this thing where she was like, I don't want Ripley to ever fire a gun. She had like a gun control kind of mindset and didn't want Ripley to fire a gun. And James Cameron was like, no right (laughs) definitely not and turned her into like the coolest action you know star in that movie well because when you're dealing with fucking aliens that are going to destroy your life and everyone around you Mm -hmm. you're gonna need a gun gun. let's not be like let's be reasonable lady (laughs) some meeting that they had where cameron was just like no ripley fires guns yeah and that's the end this of it. This is not like Ripley goes to the park. Right. This is aliens. 
when the fucking first movie ends with her having a flamethrower and being like, yeah! I know! It would just seem weird. So like, good. Okay. One, of the, uh, one thing I liked, too, was when Roger Ebert was critiquing this, he noticed, or noted, rather, that that many of the actors in the movie were older than typical action thriller stars oh, yeah. at the time. You think about Tom Skerritt was 46. Uh, he was 46 yeah, in this movie? Yeah, he was 46. Whoa! Harry Dean Stanton was 53. Veronica Cartwright, right, who's, the, who's Lambert, she was 30, and Sigourney Weaver was 29, but... You know, of course, the double junior, the girls always yeah. have to be a little right, younger. Right. I think this well, movie challenges so many things, I'm not going to be pissed off about that. Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan have talked about different types of life forms that could exist that are not carbon-based, but are maybe silicon-based. Okay. Like, because... Silicon is a good choice for another option in other than carbon because they exist in the same place in the periodic table. What I thought was interesting about silicon being a good choice as an alternate to carbon is silicon is what we make computer chips out of. Right. And it got me thinking about AI existing on the brains being silicon based. Uh huh. And so we've talked a lot about is AI a life form? If it's running on silicon and it has the need to reproduce and and all the other kind of definitions of life that we have, uh-huh. who's to say that that isn't you know just as much a life form as as carbon based? Bro, I literally just finished Westworld last night. Oh, you did? <laughs> it's so good. And I feel well, just as you were talking, I was like, I know, man, it challenged so much of that, but it's totally true. I yeah. mean, I think a lot of the time when we're talking about AI, we always come back to this idea of like, what is consciousness? Mm-hmm. So I think that would continue to be the question there of like, okay, well, yeah, life can be made of silicon, but does that still mean that their consciousness is on the same par as ours? Yeah. But <laughs> I fucking, I don't know. I think we're, we're making it even more muddled the it, closer we get to this being a reality. Yeah. And, you know, what would it say about our own AI that we create if we end up finding a, an intelligent life that is silicon-based yeah. naturally? Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah, that existed, like, in the natural world. Mm-hmm. That, see, the, the reason I went right past that is I was like, that's not a thing. <laughs> right, right. That's not a thing. But the fact that that could be a thing, well, now I've just, ho. It, it, right, ho. They also think that there might be life forms that exist in gas giants that are basically like big balloons that kind of float among the gases. I, what? Yeah, this is a, you know, trying to consider what might be life not as we know it. They think about stuff like this. Could it? Could life exist in a gas giant? And one of the things about that is an organism that evolved in a gas giant would most likely not be intelligent, or at least not the way we understand intelligence, because there's no solid material to make tools or hide behind. Right. Okay. Because that's what I'm saying. Is I'm like, would, would would I ever take an amorphous blob seriously? Well, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, you can. What do you have to say? What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well. Well, would you take a jellyfish seriously? No. No, it's they're you a jelly. Silly. They're a bunch of fucking I mean, like, jokers. You just, keep, you just keep gyrating, little guy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, because there is the thought that interacting with the environment in a complex way, if it was just gas, that would be irrelevant to its survival. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, like being able to create tools may be, maybe we do need some kind of like the environments of an earth-like planet Mm -hmm. but then it's like 
but that's life as we know it. Yeah, exactly. Which is a trap to fall into. Yeah, because you think about like the adaptability. I don't know. I, I definitely think for for us at least in the form that we are now, we need fucking tools. Like yeah. we're kind of measly without our goddamn tools. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're just out in the wilderness with no nothing on your back, you're gonna die in like a second. Yeah. One. <laughs> one second. second. <laughs> it takes a total. Of one no, second. right? But you wouldn't be able to just, uh, you know. Well, because even just like trying to make a fire, you'd need a tool mm-hmm. to then, you know. That it, that would be like devolution, right? Because mm-hmm. you think about just. And then they they learn to rub those sticks together and create fire. Right. It's like no, we're not gonna go. We're not no going back. We're n- <laughs> Lighters forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not running rubbing sticks together ever again. Okay, I got that butane. Because this movie had a big self destruct mechanism at the end, I looked into whether or not those are real, and pretty much the answer was no. Right. Because the only times that people have really wanted to use a self destruct is really on like a naval ship that is going to be captured and so they do scuttling it's more dangerous to have a mechanism that could malfunction that's purely for destroying it than just soldiers using what they have around to break the ship and sink it you know what i am glad you gave me that fact yeah because you see this in a lot of movies right yeah. it's like self-destruct in 10 minutes you know yeah. and then you have like the rest like the third act of the movie that mm-hmm. is is contained mm-hmm. within that like danger zone <laughs> yeah and plus that puts so much pressure on you right. to get the fuck out of there like they should if you're gonna have a self-destruct have it when you like a button that you hit when you're in the car ready to get the fuck out of there that too that's even going past the fact whether or not something like this can exist i've just always hated the self-destruct in a movie i hate yeah. it I it doesn't really it. make any sense things don't really exist like it's that contrived urgency you can destroy that ship it's easy to like cause a explosion. vacuum, an right. explosion. Yeah, you know. So there's so that's dramatic license, is what right. you're saying. Right. Um, oh, you've settled it. But there are like complex systems that use the two-man rule. Okay. Which it was surprising to see that the self-destruct mechanism does not use. Although I guess dramatically speaking, she's the only one left. Right. She'd but cat. Like, Jonesy. It, the two-man rule is is you see it in Terminator 2. Twin it's keys. where you got to get the two keys Totes. turned at the That's same exactly time. That's exactly where my brain went. They do use that in nuclear launches and certain other like big machinery that where you don't want one person to be able to do it. Okay. And so that is a precaution that exists in like the complexity of her self-destruct mechanism as she like pulls cylinders up and around and Pulls levers and... Well, one thing, as we were watching it, yeah, it was like, this is the least efficient. (laughs) Like, she had to push the self-destruct button, like, up in an office way over here. There was a lot of parts to it. Yeah, of course, that, again, it adds to the urgency, because then every twist and turn, she's having to look around the Mm -hmm. corner and be like, alien? 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 (laughs) Alien? Nope. Is it alien? Now? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, one last thing about self-destruct. One thing that planes do have, like, the U-2 planes spy planes from the mm-hmm. 60s is a thing called zeroing which doesn't actually destroy the plane but it turns all the digital data into zeros okay. so you hit this button and basically every piece of information that's been gathered on your ship or exists as like how it works gets oh, zeroed that's out like an inspector gadget situation oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like- 
<laughs> they should call it like the Inspector Gadget button. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, I was like, oh, messaging, messages self destruct. Uh, not that Inspector yeah. Gadget is the only <laughs> example of that right. being used. Mission impossible. But, yeah. Nah. <laughs> straight to Inspector Gadget, dude. <laughs> it's like it, only parodies exist. Yeah. Yeah. That's like when I when I first think of the Weird Al version of a song and oh, then yeah. find out that the real one exists. Totally. The white stuff. Totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Oreo. Uh, totally. What's I'm in the middle, middle? The white stuff. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll include part of it. that. <laughs> With favorite lines, I only wrote down the quote, the company must have wanted the alien for their weapons division. Right. A- anything. Well, that's sort of like Robocopian, mm-hmm. and it's just like, ah, okay, for, you know. Right, which I think they take a lot further in the sequel. The yeah. idea with, I think, the Paul Reiser character winds up being a oh, bad guy. Oh, yeah, when it becomes yeah. much more about business. This was mm-hmm. like, you know, testing the waters of, that's right, this is happening right now. Mm-hmm. And then you incorporate evil people that will use oh, that to their advantage. I also wanted to say that at the uh, premiere of the movie, at the Grauman's Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, they had like a bunch of models and sets displayed outside Mm -hmm. and religious zealots set fire to the model of the space jockey, believing it to be the work of the devil. I don't understand work of the devil. Like, like, what does that even mean? I know. (laughs) That paper mache model is (laughs) clearly the work of the devil. The devil is in the details, as you can see. (laughs) That's bullshit, but whatever. Yeah. I have no idea what we're doing next week. Oh, me either. We'll find something fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Always, always a pleasure, folks. (laughs) Always a pleasure. (laughs) See you guys next week. Bye. Have a good one.